on the computer again. Love Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, solo master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine btr and now all about wine is on here's ron um here's ron okay thank you bus people hurricane passed this and they're happy so okay now we we are trying to work our way through some technical difficulties here if I have... put us in the green room, if I put the host in the green room, is everybody mm-hmm. still able to hear me? Yes, because you're talking through your phone, which is on the live side. Okay, so it's not yeah. it's not muting anything because that that mutes it. That mutes the host. That doesn't mute right. anybody else. No, I can hear you. Okay, okay, so you yeah, can hear me in. And... And uh, the program is recording me and everything. So, okay, yeah, it jumped back by itself when it when it went live. It went live and jumped back onto the microphone by itself. Yeah, I was wondering why that happened. I was like, Ooh, that's not good. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, then I started to wonder if maybe it had to be there, but I guess not. Yeah, we're I'm having mic problems again. It, it's uh, through Blog Talk Radio. I guarantee you and it's just it's irritating but yeah it is at times that way and so we deal with it that's one of the fun things about being live you know we talk about all the all the people who record their shows and edit well you know this is the fun thing about being live you know we got blog talk radio that gives us issues and so so, and you get to hear issues because it is live well, there you go. That's right. It is not a, not a perfect perfect show between That's uh, <laughs> for, for sure. <laughs> internet storms. Uh, what else? <laughs> yeah, whatever. No hurricane to worry about this time. This the hurricane was sort of a non-event though. We didn't really get much much of an issue here. Yeah, I was worried about you guys because you're you're like right up there. Uh, yeah. It I was really not much of an issue. We got rain and a little bit of wind. I mean, not really anything to to speak of. It blew yeah. a few little small branches. And I say small, maybe, you know, two, three feet at the biggest ones out of the trees. It blew all the loose ones out. And that was about it. I mean, it, it really overall wasn't, uh, wasn't a major issue. From what they're saying, it's dumping a lot of rain up the coast right now. Yeah. So. Uh, Georgia, yeah, and Georgia and into the Carolinas. So it's affecting them, I think, more than it did, well, more than it did yeah. us here. So, yeah. oh, well, you know, it's, uh, hope everyone is safe all the way through its past. It, it, it died over Cuba and, uh, 
never really mm-hmm. had a chance to pick up at speed a whole lot. So uh, we're, we're happy. It's, it uh, came up, became a hurricane after uh, after shortly after Cuba, and then it went back to a tropical storm. I think it was. Uh, I heard it was a Category One for a little bit, and then it just you know didn't have enough energy. So yeah, well that's way you know that's way I am too. I, I jump up and I become a energetic and all that. And then it's just like oh this isn't worth it, and then I slow down again. So I can understand the hurricane's thoughts on that. So. <laughs> and I would be amiss. If I did not say congratulations, Tampa Bay Lightning, for winning their second in a row Stanley Cup. Yeah, where's that? Yeah, really. Yeah, quite, quite an accomplishment. That's that's a pretty rough, pretty rough cup to to get. Pretty rough championship to get. I mean, it's uh, you know yeah. just you know being out there and playing ice hockey and and hitting the puck around and doing that stuff. That in itself is beyond the mere mortals of the earth. And then to be able to go through and win, what was it, four series they had to win to, to win the cup? That is really quite an accomplishment. So, mm-hmm. so congratulations, Tampa Bay Lightning, on the Stanley Cup and a two-peat. So that's really quite an accomplishment in itself. So, Absolutely. Uh, so good, good for mm-hmm. them. And let's see what else is going on that is nothing to do with wine that we can talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, nothing all about more. <laughs> yeah, all about sports, all about the weather, all about you now. Everything got to cover all the all the bases before we go into it. We have any holidays coming up? We don't have any holidays, I don't think either, do we? No. Um, no. So. So uh, I was just telling Mike I, I had mic microphone problems before when I got on the air, and so I could hear Mike and he could not hear me. And I was he was telling stuff about Colorado wine, and he was doing a good job. I thought, well, heck, I don't even need to stay on the program. I'll just let Mike talk about Colorado tonight. And uh, tonight, yeah. Mike reads his yeah. uh, brochure. Yeah, well, I got this uh, one week. I went to Colorado like three years ago, four years ago, something. I went yeah, to. Uh, I think, yeah. It was uh, two years ago, and it snowed. How stupid is that for it to get a, a record blizzard? It, like it, it was what October? I forgot when yeah. I went. I mean, sure, it's. Oh my God! What a ridiculous uh, amount of snow they got. And, <laughs> yeah, it um, was. It really was. And uh, but finally got to venture out after getting a four wheel drive car. And um, picked up uh, some brochures, and uh, a lot of places were not having it. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the brochures I picked up was uh, Discover Colorado Wine. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and <laughs> I was reading some stuff before the show, and it was, you know, really a lot of interesting, uninteresting well, normally, stuff in Colorado. Normally before the show starts, you entertain me, and, you know, we kind of <laughs> go back. But I couldn't hear you, so I had to do like a monologue, and I was like, I have nothing. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, there's Colorado. <laughs> if you hadn't gone on, if you hadn't, you know, called in, I was next. I was going to recite the stuff that I find on the Boulder Discovery Map of Colorado. It's one of those uh, uh-huh. touristy maps. Uh-huh. It's not like a real map. Like somebody hand drew it and did some crayon, you know, stuff. Oh yeah. And I go, yeah, well, those, heck, those. 
stick figures. Yeah. I have that right here. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but I was going to do that next. But well, you came I, on I, and now, I, I now am, am comforted in the thought that if I am seriously ill and I can't mm-hmm. let you know that I'm going to be on, that you can pick up the gauntlet and take it to the finish by talking about stuff like that. So, if not, if not, I will play the air drums. Uh, well, they can't hear it, but uh, <laughs> drum and I have my uh, keyboard next to me. We'll play, we'll play some tunes if nothing else. There you um, go. That yeah, but I know I know that you can pick it up and carry it to the finish. So that's I, I'm comforted in that thought that you know over the years yeah. you have been able to just jump in there and improvise very quickly and easily. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, we don't have a guest tonight, but we do have info, mm-hmm. as always. Uh, some things that I've found that I think might interest you, and, uh, well, they interest me, and so, therefore, I hope they interest you. And I'll tell you about some of that stuff, and uh, a couple other things that I found here that I want to mention to you. Where is that? I throw stuff all over my desk here, and I have it everywhere. And I sometimes can find it, and sometimes I can't. And so if I say, ooh, here it is, I should have talked about that on the show. And then it's misplaced and all that. But, oh, well. Okay, so we've got a few things to talk to you about tonight uh, in the wine-related world and some of the stuff that's going on out there, and some of the stuff is rather odd, but it is all wine here. So, Arkansas. uh, There's an Arkansas agricultural mogul who just bought his sixth name brand Napa winery. Uh, No, don't do this to me. I'm going to go home. Uh, don't you hate it when it does that? Okay, here we are. Okay, so, uh, oh, come on, don't do it. This is, uh, I'm getting this off of the San Francisco Chronicle site. And, uh, I love the San Francisco Chronicle, by the way. It's, it's one, it's always been one of my favorite newspapers. But, Okay, keep reading the unlimited digital. Will that give it to me? No, it won't. Let's see. Okay, here we go. I'm into this, and this is what I want. Will it take it away? Yes, it will. It'll take it away every time, and it didn't take it away earlier. Well, welcome to live show again. Um, Keep reading. This was a recorded show. None of this would have been on the air. None of this would have been on the air. Yeah. Uh, okay. At least there. You know. uh, oh, jeez. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to read this information to you. I was reading it earlier, but a Galen Lawrence Jr. Uh, is the Arkansas rancher who agriculture and rancher who just bought 27-acre property that will be the home for the tasting room for the Burgess Cellars. And that was the main winery that burned in the glass fire last year, if you remember, 
and he just uh, bought that out. And he has bought others, too. This isn't his first one. He's bought numerous other wineries, uh, six total, uh, to be uh, accurate about it. And he's making quite a footprint there. I will find out more about this and get this article up. I had it earlier. Why? Well, maybe it's because I tried to pull up twice in one day. So uh, let me uh, find out more about this, and I will report it to you next week. Ah, I hate it when that does that. So, all right. So that is the end of that. Yeah, see, that's that's one of the fun things about live programs. I mean, like, okay, this next one is the California wine industry. This was uh, this really caught my eye here. This uh, California is the biggest state for wine. We all know that, but what we don't know is how really, really big it is. California is the fourth largest wine producer in the world, behind Italy, then France, then Spain, and then California. Another thing that surprised me in that statistic right there was Italy is ahead of France, too. Italy produces more than France. But Italy, France, Spain, and California in that order. So it's enormous, and they supply wine to everything. Uh, the industry is here. Uh, people love going to the wineries. They love relaxing. They love doing everything, and they expect good, decent wine coming out of California because that's what California is noted for. Well, uh, 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 Jude, let me not pronounce this wrong. Uh, Giulielmo, Giulielmo family's roots uh, in California go back to 1925. Uh, says the current owner of Giugiano Winery. And it's been a centerpiece of their existence for years, and it ties into all the stuff that they've done in the history of the state and the wine and everything else. And he says it's an interesting industry, but it's ever-changing, and the wine industry has always been a strong contributor to the state's economy. And he says he doesn't really see that changing. What makes California the center of the fine wine industry is the U.S., and the U.S. is a combination of climate, soils, devotion of the business, and uh, people following up with it and taking care of stuff. Uh, Jones Family Vineyards owner Rick Jones says that despite all the inherent advantages that California has for making great wine, there are also many challenges. COVID closed down restaurants, and that uh, were a big part of the market for consuming California wines. Uh, they had to pivot the wineries around to try to find an outlet for wine other than restaurants. Then they had the wildfires, particularly in the North Bay, and that was devastating last year. Estimated cost of the wine industry in the 2020 was around $2 billion. $2 billion. Now let me give you a little quick statistic here, which I saw not too long ago to put it in perspective, one million seconds is 11 days, okay, one million, one billion seconds is 30.14 years, so when you're talking two billion dollars, that's a tremendous amount more than 
than just a few million here or there. And just as an, a little extra aside here, one trillion seconds, and when they start talking about spending a trillion dollars on this or that, that's 30,137 years, or 301 and a third plus centuries. That's one trillion in, if, in seconds, in seconds. So staggering, really staggering if you think about it that way. But $2 billion uh, in loss in California because of the wildfires last year. Uh, the glass fire broke out on the 27th and went through the Jones Vineyard property and they said they lost about a third of the vines that they were protecting, uh, that while they were protecting the home and the rest of the vines. And all the trade associations, the Wine Institute and Napa Valley uh, Ventures Association, all responded quickly and uh, helped them out. Said so the policy advocacy group of the Wine Association and Napa Valley Ventures Association has over 1,000 California wineries and they help on behalf of the industry and everything else, also bringing stuff before the governor and uh, putting funds in the uh, state budget for the wildfires to try to prevent wildfires. And also the Wine Institute was instrumental in helping keep the employees safe and helping get shots for all the workers and all the employees and even to the farm workers too they were instrumental in doing that and it's just a lot of talent a lot of people in california working to keep california going all that and they said everybody has challenges and they think the wine industry is very resilient and it's going to bounce back uh, 49 of the state's 58 counties grow grapes they're, they're everywhere and because of that is a uh, agricultural event that you cannot escape and they're saying that they're recovering they're recovering quite well after the fires after the covid after the shutdowns and everything california is making a, a very decent recovery so overall something that california can be proud of and something that we can look at and say all right i'm, I'm glad somebody's doing something and is taken care of and then you know opening up for visiting again and open up for tasting and all that so if you can make a trip to california those are the things that uh, we always hope we can see and they are available now i don't know if you're i'm a golf fan i'm a, a sports fan basically but uh a golf is one of the things i do actually and phil nicholson won oh this is in the chronicle again it's not going to let me finish this article Damn it. All right, this is another one I'm going to have to uh, have to skip over. Actually, there's two of them here that I was going to... And it let me read them earlier. Why is it not let me read them now? Okay, I'll have to get back to you on that one, too. Let's see if we recorded this. We could have just skipped this. You would never know that that did that to me. This is something I don't. Uh, we haven't talked about him, and this is we we've talked about some people in the wine industry that have passed away, and some of the the big names over the years and stuff like this. 
just recently, a, a Donald D. Uh, Galliano, uh, uh, Galliano, yeah, Galliano, passed away, and he was a big member in the uh, Cucamonga Valley and the area there, and, and the wine and, and the board and stuff. He passed away June the second. Uh, he was the president of the historic Cantu Galliano Ranch in Mariloma. Uh, he was a fifth generation uh, winery, uh, uh, the fifth generation of winery founded in 1927. Uh, the Galliano is the oldest prohibition air winery in the Cucamonga Valley, still owned by the family and operated at its original location. And he's, he's passed it on to his family's sons. Uh, he has been in community service for years, served on a variety of leadership permission, uh, positions, served on the board of directors of the Western Municipal Water District, and was a representative of the Water District of Southern California. He was on the National Orange Show Foundation Board and Los Angeles County Fair Board and was Riverside County Businessman Association president and Chamber of Commerce president. And, he, you know, he's just really involved in communities and wineries and all that. And he passed away uh, June the 2nd. He, and I think, you know, 1952 he was born. So that would make him uh, 69, I believe. Uh, you know, around 69, depending on what date he was born. And so he will be missed. Uh, he, he was, I would see his name pop up whenever I was reading different articles and stuff about Southern California. He was very involved in a lot of the stuff in Southern California. So I wanted to pass that on to you just because of his presence and the fact that I've seen the name quite a few times before. Okay, now. Uh, sip on my wine tonight. Let me take a sip of it, and I'll tell you what we've got here. Oh, that's good. It is called H3. 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon, Horse Heaven Hills, hence the H3, Horse Heaven Hills Vineyard. It says, 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon, Horse Heaven Hills, Washington State. H3 is inspired by the wild horses that used to roam the Horse Seven Hills. Each wine is carefully cultivated to bring out the complex flavors of this rugged landscape. Aromas of dark fruits and currants with a balance of earthy and deep berry flavors with a cocoa finish. 100% family farm and estate sourced fruit. And then it has a QR code so you can find out more about it. Uh, it's, uh, oh, well, they, they show more in, on this label. It's fine print, so let me take a closer look at it. This label says, average analysis per five ounce, calories 129, carb 4.3 grams, protein 0 gram fat 0 gram less than 1 gram sugar per 5 ounce glass there you go they're already starting to put some label some information labels on some of the wines we've been talking about that off and on here's one that has some of it on it not nearly as 
involved as some people would like and some people suggest, but it is a start, I guess. This is good. I uh, I do get the dark fruit. It's it definitely uh, dark fruit. I'm getting more uh, dark cherries, uh, black cherry, than I am currants. Uh, definitely a, uh, a dark berry type aroma and taste to it. I'm not getting a cocoa finish, and uh, the engineer didn't get the cocoa finish either. She mentioned that... Uh, she wasn't getting that, but she's picking up the dark fruits and the berries. A uh, little bit of tannins, not a lot, but just enough to make it really good because I like that little bit of tannin, which probably age for another two or three years if you really want to, but uh, I like the balance of tannins, so it's good now. It doesn't have a whole lot of acid, which is really nice. Uh, a lot of times you get wines anymore that seem like the acid is the predominant note but it's not in this this one is uh, really this uh, subtle amount of acid in the back that doesn't overpower anything it lingers well it's got a, a good strong aftertaste it is really overall a very good wine very dark color if you see it h3 that's uh, that's what's predominant on the bottle i think this was a 16 dollar bottle uh Six, sixteen, seventeen dollar bottle. I'm not sure, right around there. So, if you see it, pick it up. It's uh, worth the cost. It's great. This would go great with uh, some of your uh, barbecues this summer. If you're looking at getting something that's uh, heavy meats and stuff that you're throwing on the grill, uh, ribs, or any any steak, obviously. I think this would balance out well. It's not overpowering in the tannins, and I think it will give you a nice meat, wine, meat, wine type balance back and forth there. But H3, 2018 Cabernet. I guess 2018 is the vintage that's out now on this. I didn't see any others, so that's the only one. But that is my wine this evening, which means I need to take another sip. It is good. It is really good. Okay. Uh, back to this here. Oh, let's see. What we, oh, here we go. Violent hailstorms hit vineyards in France and Spain. I don't know if you've heard about this or not. Series of hailstorms have hit with the Vouray and Ribera del Duero suffering the worst damage. Uh, Spanish newspaper says many as 2,000 hectares, which I can't do the conversion from hectares to acres in my head, so I can't help you on that, were affected by a hailstorm last week, representing 10% of the region with the main damage around the town of Piscoro de Duero. Uh, it says it affected Spain's most prized fine winemaker, Vega Sicilia, with a 32-hectare vineyard used uh, for its wine, seeking, seeing damage from the storms, which left the carpet of hell as much as 10 centimeters deep in certain areas. Wow. Elsewhere in France, another intense storm hit the Lure with intensity in the region of the Vouvray. Uh, 
it took place about 9 p.m. in the evening, as much as 50 millimeters of rain and hail fell in just three minutes, stripping the vines and damaging the stems. And um, it, they were basically localized, but it uh, was a devastating effect on it. The springtime uh, hailstorm, or uh, early summer hailstorm like this, really hurt them, considering that they had some severe springtime frost. And so the grapevines were behind on a lot of their flowering and budding and and uh, getting uh, a fruit set and all that. So because of that, it, it could hurt some of these vineyards over there. But that uh, just happened. Uh, so I wanted to pass that on to you. Yeah. So... I don't know if I'm on or not. Uh, 2,000 hectares is 4,942 acres. Wow. So the hectare is is a lot less than an acre. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yes. Almost two and a half, two and a half to one. Yeah. Wow. Two points. Yeah. Pretty close. So, uh, so you know, 4,000 acres, that's a lot of, a lot of area. 4,000 acres, four and a half thousand, yeah. Uh, wow. So, thank you. Uh, this next one is uh, <laughs> the whole article goes on. It's just what caught my eye was the Pinfold Grange. Uh, it, Australia has wineries, as you know, and they have a lot of good wineries, as you know, but one of them. One of the high-end ones is Penfolds Grange. They come out every year with some fantastic wines, some phenomenal wines. They are the uh, one of the one of the premiers in Australia that actually goes around the world and people know about it and all that. There's a lot of premier wineries in Australia that never leave Australia because it is absorbed in the persons in Australia before it even has a chance to be shipped anywhere else for anyone else to try it. But Pinfold Grange is one of those that is high-end, expensive, and very good. Well, two full sets of Pinfold Grange valued at $400,000 each have been seized by police as part of an operation called Operation Ironside, which they're billing as the sting of the century. Now, before I tell you about this before range, let me tell you about this other this whole operation. This was uh, you can see why they call this. You know, I mean, this is a little bit wine related, but this is interesting. This massive police operation, which began three years ago, has now seen 224 people in up to 20 countries charged with various offenses. Police say charges relate to serious criminal matters, including conspiracy to commit murder, large number, uh, large commercial trafficking of controlled drugs, firearm possession, and money laundering. The focus of police raids in South Australia has been the Camachero Outlaw Motorcycle Gang. According to a report the adverti- in the Advertiser, which is a paper down there, the 
South Australian police have seized 68 luxury vehicles, including Mercedes and Lamborghinis, as well as expensive watches and a number of extensive wine collections, including the two sets of Grange. The FBI were secretly behind an encrypted device called ANOM, A-N-O-M, which was being monitored by Australian Federal Police in Canberra. Which criminals used to communicate and plan crimes, believing their messages were safe from police, the advertiser says. But it was the ultimate Trojan horse, and the AFB was reading the 25 million messages in real time. The Australian Federal Police say 3.7 tons of drugs, 104 weapons. Now, this number, this number got me to is. Uh, dollars in cash. Okay, so that's, uh, that's uh, 44934457000 in cash and assets expected to run into the millions of dollars for the assets have been seized. The operation went into its overt phase this week when police raids began in Australia and other countries. Organized crime syndicates target Australia because, sadly, the drug market is so lucrative. Australians are the world's biggest drug takers. Oh, my gosh. And I never knew that until I just read this uh, earlier today. Police said they also foiled 21 murder plots using intelligence from Annam. This included an alleged plot to murder a man by gunning him down with a machine gun on the parade at Norwood. If the two sets of grains are truly complete, with the original 51 included, they would be worth more than $400,000 on recent, recent auction form. In December last year, a Sydney wine lover paid 430000 for a set of grains. The incredibly rare set of 64 bottles included all vintages of grains from 1951 to 2015 which I think 2016 is out now. I don't think they released the 17. A Penfolds grain set is a wine collector's ultimate dream, said Langton's head of auctions, Tamara Grisley. It has been estimated that there are only around Penfold Penfold grain sets in existence in the world, making them incredibly rare. The previous auction record was set in December 2019 when a set of Pimfo grains sold for $372,800. At the Barossa Wine Auction held in April, an imperial of Pinfolds bin 95 grange, an imperial is a big bottle, uh, grains 2016 sold for $58,250. That includes the buyer's premium. So I just uh, what a no <laughs> wonder they call it the sting of the century. Just the bottles alone, the the wine bottles alone that they found is is amazing. But you know they included a lot of other wine and everything else. So that's just it's just astonishing. Not to mention all the other stuff that was involved with that sting. So starting in 2018, they just finished it up just recently, just a couple of weeks ago, well, about a month ago now. 
yeah, about a month ago. Just, uh, just an amazing, uh, amazing thing. Uh, saw something here which I thought was interesting too. Uh, vineyard designation uh, in France. Vineyard designation has been really common in France. Uh, the Grand Cru. Uh, designations it was established in 1855 this was uh, at the exposition universal after the emperor napoleon iii asked uh, each of the wine regions in france to establish a classification and so the grand cru became the highest classification of wine and it can refer to either the plot of land in which the grapes are grown or the chateau in which the wine is made and I, we've talked about Grand Cru before. It might be might be fun to talk about it again soon here because it's, it's really interesting, the wineries that are involved with it and the designation, how they came about and all that. But in Burgundy, Alsace, Champagne, uh, Languedoc, and the Loire, Grand Cru refers to land. In Bordeaux, Grand Cru refers to the Chateau. Now, the closest thing in California, and actually... The closest thing we have anywhere near in the United States is the AVA, or the American Viticultural Area Designation. And that was launched in 1980, a uh, good 140 years, well, not quite, 125 years after the, the French came up with theirs. And it was uh, the goal of trying to carve out and define terror, and not so much the wineries itself, but the land. Uh, it is useful if people know what it is, uh, but it's uh, supposed to give you uh, a precise idea of flavor, aroma, spirit, uh, describing uh, a, a good Example, naming the AVA in which a wine is made is like describing a flower as red. Okay, this was made in Napa AVA, so that shows the flower as red. Naming a Grand Cru is like describing it as crimson or vermilion. It just gives you just a, such a precise description, whereas it's rather general. AVAs here in the United States are rather general. The real Grand Cru is carved in stone, obviously. Uh, the to be truly noticed and understood, uh, the Grand Cru's are cherished by wine enthusiasts. They're the ones that look at the Grand Cru's. They're the ones that you know they don't say this is a 1951 Chateau Montalina Rothschild. They say this is the Grand Cru. Uh, what it is, so it it becomes. But the vineyards that seem to pop up on the most highly rated bottles with ever increasing frequency is the ones that the people are looking for. Well, California's looking for that too. Alright. They are looking at increasing their well, certain wineries. I shouldn't say California, I should say certain wineries are increasing it. It's not appreciated how extraordinary and rare some of these vineyards are, says uh James Hall, who is a winemaker and founder of Sonoma's Pats and Hall, 
they specialize in single vineyard Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Now, we have talked to people who have vineyards who specialize in one or two grapes, and that's it. And that's what they do. And it, it's it's quite specific in what they're trying to do and what they're trying to come up with. Uh, James Hall continues, when people talk about Grand Cru wines from Burgundy, they're talking about less than 5% of the wines made there, which you know, I don't think people understand that. They've been studying these places for hundreds of years. California is just getting started, and not nearly uh, as many truly great vineyards in the New World as people think. But there are ones that are somewhat mysterious and magical, ones that can produce wines with emotional impact. These are the ones that they're looking for to try to make them a, a more of a, a designation, a Grand Cru-type designation. And it says, while California is unlikely to ever formally recognize these rock star vineyards, that doesn't mean that it can't be done on an informal basis a little bit more. They want to understand the phenomenon and everything else. So the article goes on and starts talking about the fruit. It starts talking about usually the small vineyards and the small amount of grapes that are produced and the vines that are on their own roots, which is extremely rare in California because of phylloxera. Uh, so these grapes are in great demand. Now, I don't know. You know that, that's always surprised me, if I may editorialize for a moment here. Why would it make so much difference? Because the root system is just a feeding system to the, to the vines, but they are really in a premium if you can find grapes that are on the original rootstock because the phylloxera gets into the original rootstock of the virus from nephra. They really need to be planted in or grafted into American roots. And if they're not, phylloxera couldn't invade them very quickly, very easily. But it is a it is something that... Uh, comes at a premium in California. If you can find farming of original rootstock, then it becomes uh, very, uh, very special. And I don't know if it would make a difference in the grape taste or not. I tend to think no, but maybe I'm wrong. So uh, they're looking at doing more of getting a a designation in in California of well actually a few people are it's you know the uh what is it James Hall and uh another man by the name of uh like uh let's see Hall and uh Julian Fayard, uh, who is uh, a farmer in uh, Robert's Vineyards, and uh, Tom Gamble. These are people who are looking at doing a type of Grand Cru type designation. They are all small estate wineries. They all have distinct growing areas. They all have very 
limited productions of what they do, usually Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. Pinot Noir seems to be very popular, too, in the, in the small production of the different wineries. Uh, vineyards with 12 to 14 uh, acres making all different Pinot Noirs and uh, 6 to 8 vineyards with just Chardonnay. This is very popular all around Napa, Sonoma, and Mendocino, and stuff like that. And these are the ones that are looking at doing a specific type of designation. Don't know what's going to ever happen. It might come about if they continue on. I'll let you know about it if I see anything else about it or if it ever happens. It took a long time for the French to come up with their prestige that they have under their Grand Cru now. Just being Napa, California on the label, that has a lot of prestige, but these guys want to make it even more personalized. They want to take it that one step further. Uh, So they said they're paying top dollar now for the grapes they're getting. They're paying top dollar now for the what they're doing and all the equipment and everything else, and they are delivering nothing less than perfect, which I think that's going to interpret, and it doesn't say it here, but you're going to be be paying top dollar for the wine itself. And just more designations on the bottle, I think it's going to give them the... Oh... uh, the license to charge you more and feel that it is okay to do that. So there you go. That's just something that's uh, that's going to be happening out there. I saw this and I thought this was uh, a little bit funny, but it's something that goes on. And what caught my eye about this is the fact that I got a, a cease and desist letter when I had the winery. Uh, this is a Napa winery, Appalachian Trading Company, is suing Salvestrin Wine Company. And it's uh, St. Helena Company, a Napa-based Appalachian Trading, produces a Napa Valley wine called Colt, C-U-L-T, a label that was first used in January 2010. And it's been produced since then under different ownerships. However, in 2011, a winery in St. Helena, Salverston, also named one of its wines Colt, C-U-L-T, according to intellectual property lawsuit. So Salverston demanded that the Snyder family stop using Colt. And the Snyder family refused and said the label remained in use. And so the Salverston family threatened to sue. And the Snyder family then changed hands. Then in 2018, Snyder family sold its vineyard and winery to Summit Vineyards. About a year later, Appalachian Training Company purchased the cult label, and the company also purchased Summit's vineyard and inventory. Then Silverstone did not demand the Appalachian drop cult immediately after the sale, according to the complaint, but in February 2021, Silverstone demanded that immediately cease and desist sales of the label or face federal court litigation. 
So, Silverson claimed to have first used Colt in 2009 before the Snyder family did. In a lengthy letter, they called it, uh, the Snyder family called it a groundless claim. And then a trademark litigator based in Silicon Valley sent a second letter on behalf of Silverstone reiterating the demand that Appalachian stop using Colt and threaten to take it to court. Again, Appalachian provided a lengthy response explaining it did not and it would not stop using Colt. So, the Appalachian Train Company argues that they did not receive a and that Silverstrand did not receive a COLA label for Colt until July 2011, which that is really the important part of it, too, that COLA label, that, you know, the uh, labeling. Um, Appalachian Training also argued that Silverstrand allegedly knew that it had substantially exclusive use of the name Colt when it applied for the trademark. And so more litigation is expected in the... Lawyers are trading letters and trading insults. And last week, Appalachian Trading Company principal reached out to Silverstone and confirmed it intended to sue over cult, according to the complaint. Now, that's how this stuff works. It's ridiculous. It goes on and on and on. And the only people who make a lot of money is the lawyers, and you know, just to stop the label. I don't think people are going to be confused. And the reason I, I wanted to read this to you is because Florida State's Winery, we were using the plantation um, as our, our main label. We had a plantation red, a plantation white, a plantation spice, a plantation blush, and uh, Casa del Sol labels were some of them. And, but plantation was our basis, this because of the Florida Estates Winery, and it was like, you know, a plantation, and this was the thing. And it was uh, uh, simple. I, we're not up anymore. I was going to say go check it out, but the site has been down for some time, obviously. But this was the thing. Well, I received a letter back in 2012 or 13 that stated it was from a... West Virginia, I think, a West Virginia winery that, from a lawyer from West Virginia winery, that stated that I need to cease and desist using plantation blush because they use it. And I thought, what? You know, this is ridiculous. Why? I need to cease and desist because they're using it. Also, I'm not shipping to West Virginia. They're not shipping to Florida that I knew of, and yet I guess somebody had been here and they got a bottle and they took it back up there and they saw it and they go, well, wait a minute, they can't use the same label as us, so they took it to the lawyer, and the lawyer sent me a letter cease and desist. So I wrote them back and I said, I got my cola on this and. 2001 when did you get yours cola means that i was registered with the you know ttb tobacco and trade bureau and that's when it was first okayed and i said when did you get yours and i never heard from him again that was the end of my cease and desist order and i did not cease and desist 
And I didn't tell them I wanted them to cease and desist because I thought it was all frivolous. But this is what goes on. I'm sure I was just one example there, and I'm sure it bounces around and goes on around the country all the time. But this just reminded me of some of that. It's just, you know, I'm the big boy. I want this label. No, I'm the big boy. I want this label, and you you can't play with my, you know. I, I don't think people are going to get confused. Now, maybe Napa and Sonoma, since they are right across the street from each other, well, not literally, but I mean, uh, over the hill. Uh, one of them's in St. Helena and the other was in Napa. I guess that could be an issue because they're both right there, and that might be an, an issue with both of them. But a lot of these around the country that do this stuff, I think, are just sort of, well, just so the lawyer's going to have something to do and make more money. And it's, yeah, well, that's my opinion of it. So, uh, let's see. Oh, let me see. And then I've got a few more here for you. Naked wines. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen those. They're advertised everywhere. They they have uh, advertising on, on just about every type of channel and every type of thing you can find and every type of website and all that. And their annual sales leapt 68% during the lockdown. 68%. But a jump in advertising costs led to a bigger loss, which just came out. Their annual sales leapt up, but because of the lockdown, they increased advertising, which cost them more. Now, Naked Wine sells about 300,000 customer base via prescription. And the advertising cost more than doubled to 42.3 million pounds. And this is obviously out of, let me see, what is this, uh, Reuters? Well, why is Reuters talking pounds? But 43, or 42.3 million pounds, or about 12% of total sales, up from 19.8 million pounds a year earlier. That paid off. Uh, with the Norwich-based company reporting a 53% surge in total customers and 78% growth in the United States, which is now its target market. However, its shares fell 1.5% as its loss before tax nearly doubled to $15.5 million. They estimate that the... uh, uh, the uh, advertising costs around the world has really hurt it. Uh, stay-at-home trends have driven a step change in volumes from online wine sectors. Uh, it's uncertain if this trend will hold up post-COVID-19. Uh, they said the strong performance has continued in the new fiscal year, and it's estimated uh, an investment of four, 40 to 50 million pounds and new customers. Uh, Majestic Wine is a spinoff from Naked Wine in 2019, and it's seen a record online sales in the pandemic. So if you're a fan of Naked Wine, Majestic Wine, same company, or if you don't like Naked Wines and you see Majestic Wines out there, it's the same company. Or if you find a new wine that's Majestic Wines, 
it's the same as naked wines. So just to let you know. But it costs a lot to advertise. Yes, it does. Chemical damage kills a... uh, uh, Vineyards. Now, this is an interesting case here. June 4th, 2021, this was just about five weeks ago, 57 Texas High Plains wine grape growers filed suit seeking hundreds of millions of dollars in damages from Bayer Monsanto and BASF. They alleged that the chemical giants sold a defective genetically modified cottonseed system to Texas farmers featuring a highly volatile weed killer that moved miles off target and crippled scores of vineyards across the state. Now, there you go. This is this has been a, a, a thing that you have to worry about whenever you spray any chemicals. This is why there's been lawsuits in France, Spain, Italy, Germany. I, I can probably go back and find documented lawsuits for this type of thing in every wine region in the world and everywhere in this country. This happens. Whenever you have any spraying, it drifts. And whenever you're doing spraying in your own vineyard, you have to be careful for drifts. And if your vineyard is around something else, you have to be careful for drifts. Well, this one was a little bit different. This was genetically modified cotton seeds that contained a very volatile weed killer and this drift and got into the vineyards. Uh, the suit says that in recent years, uh, the uh, volatizing decamba applied to genetically modified cotton crops have damaged up to 95% of the productive grapevines on dozens of family-owned and operated vineyards covering 3,000 acres near Lubbock. That's in Texas, obviously. The loss threatens the existence of many high plains vineyards which have taken decades to cultivate and account for 85% of the grapes produced, sold, or used by the state's $13.1 billion wine industry. So this is, without uh, doubt, a serious thing or a serious charge. He said evidence shows Monsanto knew as early as 2009, years before the sea system was released, that Dikemba is highly volatile under hot and dry conditions, turning into a gas that travels miles to wreak havoc on vulnerable broadleaf crops such as grapes and other fruits. Yet, it lured by the prospect of billions in profit, the company joined forces with BASF in 2010 to develop and eventually market X10 seed system in which seeds are genetically modified to survive applications of decamba-based weed killer. And so because of that, they planted it anyway, they sold it anyway, and now they are seeking damage. In February of 2020, a Missouri jury awarded $265 million in damages caused by the decamba drift to one peach orchard, which was eventually reduced to $75 million. But Bayer Monsanto struck a $400 million settlement to settle other suits followed by other farmers. That agreement does not cover the Texas Great Corps. And so uh, it is 
a big lawsuit and a big problem. The uh, since there's no decamber resistant grapevines, the plants were defenseless to the millions of pounds of the herbicide in the region's atmosphere. Uh, while the suit is receiving extensive press coverage in Texas, and it's the first I've read about it, it's not clear whether the Texas wine industry can survive it. Some vineyards have experienced a 90% reduction in the grape harvest, which brings in more than $2,500 a ton. In the past, we've gotten top premium price for our grapes, said Cliff Bingham, uh, one of the plantees from the Bingham family vineyards. He added that his annual production crashed from 800 tons to under 100 tons. Now, when you start thinking $2,500 a ton, that's 700 tons that they have reduced. Now, Bingham says his business is facing extinction because of decamba poisoning. We're talking about the legacy of a family business. Eight of our 11 children's livelihoods depend on the vineyard. If we grow decamba-free, we're, if we can't grow decamba-free, we're history. So there you go. Serious thing. Serious thing. There's this chemical drift and the chemicals in, in the stuff. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not anti-chemical. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not one to say all chemicals should be stopped because. It has helped, but you know there's better ways to do it. And when a company like Monsanto or BASF knows about the damage and they continue with it anyway, then that's wrong. It's this bottom line that is just wrong. So as I see stuff, as I find stuff on this subject, I will pass it on to you. But uh, that's where we are now. And that's it for tonight made it through the night without thunder and lightning. So, And I had to call back. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just disconnected. And I was sitting here and taking my notes and stuff, and all of a sudden, boop. I go, what? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah so, I yeah. had to call again. I see that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I don't look at, look at the... At the yeah. uh, uh, hmm. the well, uh, not- uh, studio page when right. I'm doing the show because I'm always finding and looking at articles and stuff. But yeah, I see where you disappeared and came back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, here we are. Um, Thanks. Block yeah, Talk so, Radio. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, that could be uh, Google Plus. I don't know, but we'll, it's yeah. easier to blame. It's easier to blame Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, since I can get you on the microphones or on the headsets, then you know we'll blame Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. yeah. I do believe that's that's Blog Talk Radio doing it. Um, you were talking about California, um, the fourth largest wine producer in the world, and right. the others that you mentioned, the first three, those are countries. Yes. You're talking about a, a state. state in <laughs> yes. the U.S. is fourth behind all those you know three countries. I'm like, oh. Countries. <laughs> yes, oh, I know that just that shocked me too when I, you know when I read that. And you know, and I wonder those those three countries must really produce mm-hmm. because when you add the rest of the United States into it, I still don't yeah. think we're number one. You know, yeah. uh, so but still they're they're behind, only. I mean, a state is behind four yeah. or three other countries. I know it's just yeah. it's just amazing. <laughs> Well, what, 43 out of 57 counties grow grapes. Mm. And, wow. Uh, 
Yeah, it just it's it's phenomenal. I don't even know if they're counting the the raisin grapes in that either. I think those might just be wine grapes. Mm. I know. It's sort of staggering. It, it really was sort of staggering. But also, you know, on the, on the news articles tonight, that was the Granger Pinfold Granger set. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. four hundred thousand dollars for a Pinfold Granger from fifty-one to twenty-eighteen. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of wine, but oh my gosh! I mean, and when you get that. You wonder, okay, is is this been kept? I mean, they they confiscated two complete sets, but did those crooks know what they were doing, or did they just do it because they thought it was something good to steal, and they just threw it in a warehouse in a box or something? Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you wonder about that too. So, well, uh, remember that that uh, show on Netflix I was telling you about. If you get a chance, watch it. Uh, Rot, I think it's called Rotten. And they had one on wine and all of the almost, I guess, criminal activity that's going on out there. And oh. if anybody get a chance to, and, and uh, it's it's definitely worth a watch. But, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, they're so nice. And, you know, they come on here. Well, those are the ones that come on here. But then you have that other side, you know, like 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 the the one that you're talking about, and it's like there's something something going on. Yeah. Something like, um, well, it's it's amazing the amount of fraud going on out there. I mean, I, I see stuff all the time, and we hear about you know so and so was caught, or they discovered these pinfold collections and stuff like that. But there are yeah. lots and lots of others that not quite that large, not quite that uh, complex that's going yeah. on constantly that's making mm. people a, a few thousand dollars a month that they're under the radar and it's still going on. And, and like you say, that Netflix show, I started watching it and we had a, a thunder event and it went off and I didn't, didn't finish it. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it just, there's so many little small ones going on that it's frightening out there, which you may be stuck with when you go out and buy bottles from a non-reputable dealer or even your local liquor store. Some of them are filtered through liquor stores and stuff. So, hmm. yeah. Not cool. Um, Not cool. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, we will um, go ahead and end the show for tonight on july the 8th and we'll be back on the 15th which is next thursday live not recorded uh we'll be back at 7 p.m eastern time uh <laughs> halfway through the month already oh. yeah yeah <laughs> and uh let's see all uh thank y'all for uh tuning in and uh be safe and um you keep drinking the wine and and we'll all come back here next thursday and then enjoy another all about wine with ron Woo-hoo-hoo. hey and, uh, thanks for listening good. Have a good week. Thank you. Be safe. Thank you. It's like my first day. I can't find the video. Oh, there it is. Can't find the button? There we go. Good. (laughs) Play it. Play. (laughs) This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. 
Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All right. Go to the green room. Yeah, let's get all of us in the green room.